Podcast. It's Build a Big Podcast, the marketing podcast for podcasters. I'm David Hooper, and this is the podcast about growing your audience. That's what I do. I've been involved in the entertainment industry uh, a long time. Started doing radio in 91, a syndicated show in 2005. That's when I got into podcasting. So I've seen a lot, and I've got a lot to share with you as far as building a big audience. This episode is the final part of a four-part series that I've done with Jake Klaus. He's a podcast called Creative Elements. CreativeElements.fm is the website. He just signed to the HubSpot Podcast Network. So I wanted to bring him in to talk about how he did that. Go back, analyze what he has done so you can do the same thing. In the last episode, we talked about ads and income strategy. Talked about CPM versus a niche buyout. They're two different methods of charging for ads. One of them will make you more money depending on the podcast that you have. Partnerships, how to partner with broadcasting companies and also podcast networks. The importance of clarifying what you do and how you help people. That's going to help you grow an audience. Churn and burn content creation, quality versus quantity. Where do you stand? Either one of them is going to work for you, but like that CPM versus the niche buyout, one of them will work better for you than the other, depending on where you are. Also the hierarchy of content creators. Not all content options are for all people. And in this episode, I'm going back into those topics, talking about what we talked about last time, adding additional commentary, giving you some different insight, a different perspective than what Jay had to help you take these different elements of your podcasting business and build a bigger podcast. If you don't have those first three episodes, here is how to get them. They're all in the feed and you can have them automatically downloaded to your phone by going to bigpodcast.com slash subscribe bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. There are three buttons on that page, one for iPhone, one for Android, and one with an RSS feed. There's also a QR code. If you take your phone out, you scan that, you'll instantly get this podcast, Build a Big Podcast, delivered to your phone. You can take me with you to the gym, in the car, wherever you go. You can go back and listen to those three episodes. Also, the other hundreds of episodes that I've got, all of them about building a bigger podcast. This episode is brought to you by Riverside.fm. These interviews that I've done with Jay, all the interviews that I do, they are done remotely. Sounds like we're in the same room, though. You would never know unless I told you. You can get the same thing using a tool like Riverside.fm. And it doesn't have to be just you. When I'm doing my broadcast show, also done remotely for the last couple of years, I've got a producer, I've got an engineer. Anybody that you've got working with you can join in on the session with you via Riverside.fm. And this is what I love about it. They've got producer mode and controls. If you join as a producer, you can watch from backstage, meaning your host and your guest, they're not going to know you're there. That can really disrupt an interview to have all these blank stares looking at somebody. If you've got somebody that you're interviewing, that person does have media training, that person may be nervous. But producer mode in Riverside, that's going to set your guest at ease. It's going to feel like it's a one-on-one conversation, just like what you want to record, just like what you want to get out to people. That one-on-one, that intimacy, that's very important with podcasting. And you can get it with Riverside.fm. Not only are you going to sound great, you're going to sound like you're in the same room, it's going to help you get that intimacy. You want to go deeper with your interviews? It's a great tool for that because it makes it easy. One click is all it takes. Nobody's going to be flustered. Oh, how do I connect to this? They simply click a link, join the studio via a Chrome browser, get connected, get talking to you. It's easy for your guests to be great when you use Riverside.fm. You can try it for free. Two hours. They're going to give you two hours to look under the hood, see how it works for you. That should be enough for a couple of interviews. Maybe more. I've got interviews, 20, 30 minutes. Knock them out. Do it on Riverside's dime. Riverside.fm will let you try it. And if you want to stick around, I've got a discount code for you. 
It's going to get you 15% off forever. The URL, riverside.fm, and here's that code. Big podcast, B-I-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Riverside.fm, the discount code, big podcast, B-I-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Let's talk about ads and income strategy. It's very common for a new podcaster to come to me. They want to do ads. It did not used to be that way. But for whatever reason, big money has come into podcasting and it is an opportunity for you. You don't even need to have a big podcast to get advertising these days. You just have to have the right audience. One of the things that's really interesting about Jay's podcast, and if you listen to it, go to creativeelements.fm to do that, you will hear that he has a lot of ads. We talked about that. It's on the previous episode. Several ad breaks, multiple ad slots within each ad break. One of the things that I loved about what he said, we talked about it for a second, but I'm going to mention it here again because this could literally double the amount of money that you are making. You've got a pre-roll ad and you've got a post-roll ad, meaning before your content starts, there's an advertisement. That's the pre-roll. And after the episode is technically over, that's the post-roll. So you've got two segments there. and You don't even have to touch the content in your episodes to put those in there. Jay talked about adding a pre-roll ad. And if you've got that pre-roll, and if you've also got the mid-roll, the ad within the content of your podcast, the pre-roll makes that mid-roll ad more effective. They have done tests on this. It's not that big a deal for you to put a quick pre-roll ad, 15, 20, 30 seconds, on the front of your podcast episode. The reality is this. Your hardcore listeners, they're using a podcast player It likely lets them start listening to your podcast 15, 20, 30 seconds in, whenever the content starts. So your hardcore listeners, they're going to skip that ad. They're not going to find it to be a disruption. And of course, post-roll, you probably know that from this podcast. When I start talking about subscribing to the podcast, the three buttons, the stuff that I just talked about that's normally at the end, you cut off. You're on to the next thing. So the post-roll ad, that's not really disruptive to your audience either. If you're worried about advertising being disruptive, it's a thing. I'm going to get into that talking about the mid-rolls here in a second. But the pre-roll and the post-roll, not really that disruptive. Not for the people who can skip ahead with the pre-rolls or for the people who cut off the podcast before the post-rolls come around. It's because of this that most of the advertisers that you want, they want a mid-roll ad, just like the Riverside ad that I did. That contract, it is for a mid-roll ad. If I wanted to, I could offer a pre-roll or post-roll as a bonus, charge them more money, put it together as a package deal. Jay's talking about it being more effective. You can do the test to find out for yourself if it's actually more effective to you. But if it is more effective, because podcast ads are tracked, when I say use the code BIGPODCAST, B-I-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, that is a tracking code for Riverside. Your ads will likely have a very similar code. The more people you get to use that code, the more likely the advertiser will stick with you, the more likely the advertiser will pay a higher rate to advertise with you, or both stick with you at a higher rate when it comes time for you to renegotiate the contract with the advertiser. One of the things Jay and I talked about was dynamic ads versus live reads. What you just heard from me with Riverside, that is a live read. As I'm recording this podcast, I recorded that ad for Riverside. One of the reasons that I do that is because as I'm recording this podcast, I can refer back to that ad from Riverside, just like I did. Talked about tracking the ad, gave you the code again. Big podcast, B-I-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. I couldn't do that if I didn't know the type of ad 
that was being played on this episode. So that's a real value. But the other reason that I don't do dynamic ads, and this is something for you to think about with your negotiation, is one, that dynamic ad, once the contract is done, it disappears. So it doesn't have evergreen placement. It is not there forever. Whether you have a substantial podcast audience or not, if you have something that will be there forever, as opposed to two weeks or a month or three months or however long your contract terms are, you can likely charge more per ad for that same work. And I know you've heard this because I've heard a lot of people talking about it. And I've heard a lot of advertisers ask about it. When they ask about your download numbers, how many people you're reaching, they want to know how many people you're reaching within the first two weeks. That's fine. That's fine. You can do this anyway, because if somebody hears that ad three weeks in, unless the company has gone out of business, maybe it's for a live event, there's a timeliness to that ad, that ad is still good. That ad is still as effective. It is worth paying more for an ad that is baked into the episode. So if you're going to offer that, you have an opportunity to use that as a selling point. There are two ways to do baked in ads. There's a live read and there's hitting a button on something that you've already recorded. I've talked about this element of podcasting a lot on this podcast, and that is that you may be recording one episode every week, or let's say two episodes every week. Your listeners, however, may be listening to one, two, three, four, five episodes in a day, five episodes over a couple of days. And if they keep coming back to you and you keep giving them the exact same ad, the exact same moment in time where that ad was recorded, whether it's pre-recorded dynamic or whether it's pre-recorded baked into that episode, it's going to be there forever they are going to be hearing the same inflection, the same words, the same tones, and they're going to know it. You know this on podcast intros. You know this on advertising. This is the reason why you hear a podcast intro like that. You fast forward. You've heard it a million times, and you'll do the same thing for the advertising as well. This is why when you listen to this podcast, I say, hey, it's Build a Big Podcast, the marketing podcast for podcasters. That's me saying it live every time. The same words, but it's different each time. Just a little bit. A little more of a pause here. A little more of a slurring together of the words here. A little bit of a different tone. Whatever. There are a lot of little differences that you may not intuitively notice. You think, well, I've heard this before. I've heard the same words before. And there's some familiarity there. But what you don't have is me hitting that tape and you having the exact same words, tonality, spacing, emphasis. That's boring. If you want to keep your listeners engaged, you have to change things up. You've got to. Otherwise, your current episode is literally the exact same episode, or at least parts of it are, as your previous episode. So a good reason for doing live reads, a good reason for doing baked-in ads. The other thing, control. If you're on a network, and Jay talked about this. He talked about political ads. He got mismatched with a political ad. He just didn't think ahead to turn those off. But it might not even be an option for you to turn those off. You get what you get when you do a dynamic ad. You don't know what's going to be in there. Competitors people who aren't going to treat your listeners well, you don't know. Funny story about advertising. Walking my dog, do it every day, sometimes a couple times a day. And we're going by a house down the street and they are doing a ton of landscaping work on this house. It's crazy. I mean, no joke. I'm talking $30,000, $50,000 worth of landscaping. That's what it looked like. And it turns out I was right because I asked a guy in the street, I said, what's going on over there? He goes, oh yeah, they're working on this HGTV show. Like flip my yard or something like this. I don't know. Whatever. So I get on HGTV, the streaming service via Roku. I don't subscribe to it. I'm trying to find this show. 
Didn't find it. But I did find another show out of Nashville and I wanted to watch it. Dynamic advertising. Four or five commercial breaks during a 30-minute show, a lot of commercial breaks. And one of the things that I noticed, I guess they had a lot of inventory. Sometimes you'd watch a commercial break and there would be two ad blocks in it, the exact same commercial. Sometimes three ad blocks for the same commercial. Crazy, right? That's the risk that you take with dynamic ads. Duplicates, competitors, people who aren't going to treat your listeners well. Now, the upside to this, Jay talked about maximizing for his advertising. Because he's doing dynamic ads, because he's getting so many downloads, somebody buys 100,000 ad units, he's got 200,000 downloads that month. What then? He can sell them. That's the advantage of it. And assuming it's not political or competitor or somebody's not going to treat his listeners well, that is extra money for him. It's not all bad. You just need to think about it. What kind of show do you want? What kind of relationship do you want with your listeners? Sometimes advertising makes the episode seem like it's a real episode, a real legitimate episode. The same thing you would hear on broadcast radio. We are used to hearing advertising and having advertising makes it more authentic for people. It might be counterintuitive, but sometimes dynamic advertising works and it's gotten better. Podcasting, when we first had dynamic ads, there would be a pause. You think, wait a minute, is my player off? And oh, here comes the ad. And then there'd be a pause. All right, back to the show. It was weird. We've gotten a lot better at it. Dynamic ads, they can get them in pretty seamlessly. Just be aware of what you're getting into. We'll talk about the revenue splits for a minute. Maybe this is worth it. And what I mean by this is you have a network partner or an agent, somebody who's going out and doing the work for you, but taking 20, 30, 40, 50% maybe. It's very nice to have somebody who can do the sales and also the billing for you. That takes one thing off the table that you may not want to do. When I have an ad contract that's up, I go back to the advertiser. Do you want to advertise again? You've got that conversation and that negotiation all over again. And you can get rejected. Nope. We did not get response from these ads. We're not going to advertise. Or we can advertise, but we're going to pay half of what we paid you last time. Then you got to negotiate. If you don't like that kind of stuff, it may be worth it to you to have an agent. Agents can also get a higher amount than you could. Maybe they're packaging your podcast with another podcast. Maybe it's that they know the market. I see this happen all the time. Niche podcasters. have got a good little thing going, maybe a thousand downloads per episode, whatever. Not a lot of people listening. And all these big companies come in, they know their marketing and they come down off their hill and they say, hey, little niche podcaster, we'd like to give you $25 per episode. If you've never had any money for advertising, you might be thinking, whoa, that's a good deal. But at the same time, they've got another niche podcaster they're dealing with. That guy's making $100 for the same ad. An agent knows what your podcast advertising is worth. Also, because agents aren't taking things personally, they can walk away from the deal not get upset, get their panties in a wad. It may be easier for them to do the negotiating than it is for you. That revenue split, there are different ways of doing it. What I just mentioned is a per sale deal. If the ad is $100, you got a 50-50 revenue split, you get 50. The person doing the negotiation, the agency, the network, they take the other 50%. There's also what I mentioned for the broadcast show. You give somebody your content, you keep 100% of your ads but the split happens on the space. With the broadcast show, 54 minutes of content, six minutes of ads per hour. 
We keep three minutes, they get three minutes. So if we can sell our three minutes for $5,000, let's say, we keep all that. They sell their three minutes for whatever. Now, the difference is this. The three minutes that we have, it might be worth $5,000 because it's on five stations. They might be getting $1,000 because it's only on one station. That's how that revenue split happens. If you've got different stations, different networks, you're piecing each of those out. That's how that works. I say this, Jay had something similar with HubSpot. He's got two ad slots that he gives to the network and those go to other shows. That goes to HubSpot stuff. That's another way for you to do your ads. How much do you charge? Let's talk about that. CPM versus what I call a niche buyout. CPM, that's cost per thousand. M-I-L-L-E. Millennial, millennium, millionaire. Millionaire, you know, just a thousand times a thousand. That's how that works. CPM is great for general market podcasts, great for general market shows. But all podcasts can likely make more money by selling a flat rate based on three things. One, celebrity host. And when I say celebrity host, I'm not talking about Obama or the prince and princess or Larry King, somebody that everybody knows. I'm talking about somebody that your audience respects. And it could be a niche host. Celebrity in your niche, that's a celebrity host. The second thing is a niche audience. I talked about those niche podcasters, maybe 500, 1,000 listeners. Those ads are worth more money than just a standard CPM. Standard CPM has a lot of waste. If you go to a regular broadcast show, they'll say, well, we've got 10% of the market, women, 24 to 30, 40% of them are mothers, blah, blah, blah. They'll give you all the demographics. If you come to my broadcast show, people who listen to my broadcast show are musicians. If you've got a musical instrument company, if you've got a CD manufacturing company, if you've got something for musicians, I might not have as many total listeners, but I've got many more musicians actually listening to me. So for the general stuff, let's say you've got Pampers. Yeah, man, we want those mothers. That's great. But maybe a smaller show just for mothers, just for newborn mothers. That's going to be better for you and that's going to be more profitable. And the ad company looks at it like this. You've got a thousand listeners and we're paying a thousand dollars to reach those listeners. They're all mothers. They're all newborn mothers. I could pay $2,000 to reach 10,000 listeners, but those listeners aren't the same. You got people who don't have kids, random people, Manny, Mo, Jack, who knows? Those people are not as valuable to you as mothers, not if you're in the diaper business. That third thing, geography. If you're advertising a live show in Nashville, you want to hit people in Nashville. Walla Walla, Washington, Chunky, Mississippi, Enterprise, Alabama, doesn't matter. Nashville's all that matters because the people in Nashville are the people who can get to a Nashville show. You're going to get more money that way. One celebrity host, and again, celebrity, that's celebrity within your niche. Two, a niche audience, a very specific audience. And three, geography. That's going to get you more money. General audience, who knows who's listening? The number you hear thrown out a lot, $25 per 1,000 listeners. I had a sales guy come to me. He wanted to sell inventory that we had. I said, eh, I don't know, man, 25 per thousand. That doesn't sound like a good deal to me. We can do a lot better. He goes, 25, man, I'm getting five per thousand. I said, absolutely not. No, I'd rather not have an ad and not annoy everybody for $5 per thousand. New podcasters, well, it's better than nothing. Mm, is it? Is it? 
because there's a downside to ads. You listen to this podcast. I'm talking about Riverside.fm. Look, it's great. Does it work for you as a podcaster? Yeah. Does it work for you if you do interview shows, which most podcasters do? Yes, it's great. But there's a downside. It is a much better experience for the most part for people not to have ads. The flip side, and I'm pretty close to that, is when I give you something in an advertisement that is exactly what will help you, something like Riverside. But then the flip side of that is that you need consistency to get somebody to act. And episode after episode after episode, do you still want to hear it? I don't know. Some people are good, some people are not. But you need to consider that. And if it's only $5 for every thousand, that is usually not worth the price. A niche audience with a celebrity host, $200 CPM. That's what you can get. Partnerships. Jay said this, HubSpot, that's his network. They do a pretty good job of letting you know what you're getting into with them. And they're very upfront about it. This is the reason for you, podcast host, to be who you are, not shying away from that. That protects other people getting involved with you without knowing what you stand for. And that prevents problems. When I was 15, I went to go see Kiss with my father. Kiss, you know, Kiss, the hottest band in the world. Actually, let me say that a little bit better. My father came to see Kiss with me. <laughs> my buddy had won tickets on the radio. We were fans. But only 15. We needed a ride down there. My dad's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go. I'll make sure you guys don't get in trouble. <laughs> so, Municipal Auditorium, downtown Nashville, Tennessee, 1987. And I was a fan. I wasn't a fan like my buddy, but... I'd seen Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. I'd heard the radio hits, had the records, some of them, not all of them. And let me tell you, man, it was a different show than what I had heard on the radio. Vulgar, crude, stories, about a 90-minute show. 60 minutes of it, Paul Stanley, arguably one of the greatest front men in rock and roll. Nashville! I met a woman backstage. She had some big <laughs> Hey, don't take my word for it. Check this out. Just in case somebody gets offended easy, this story's got to do with sex. Well, let me tell you something. This story is true and it is dirty. Now she goes walking by me, she's trying to make believe that I'm not really theirs. She goes by me like this. Anyway, that kind of thing. Vulgar, crude, lots of stories. It made the ride home very interesting. That would be shocking if you only knew, like a lot of people did, like I did, what you had heard on the radio what you'd seen on network television. If you saw the family-friendly version of KISS, superheroes, I knew a little bit going into it. It was still shocking to me. And the worst thing that can happen is for an advertiser to come in, they think they've got somebody family-friendly, like a sitcom comic. You seen these sitcoms? Ha ha ha, they're so funny. Got a nightclub show. Whoa, much different. Much different. Radio hits sitcoms, a lot different from what you're going to see at a live venue. Anyway, 
You may have the same type of situation. You keep it clean. Then it's a little bit edgier. I've certainly done that with my live events. Last big live event I did, I'd organized this. One of the messages that I got. David Hooper should never be let near a microphone. Because <laughs> I keep the podcast clean. I want it to be accessible to people. Live event, well, you know, let some things slip. And that was my mistake. I was not thinking ahead like that. But that can happen to you. If you've got sponsors that have gotten involved with one thing, thinking it's another thing, you're going to have some problems. YouTube versus podcaster versus something else. Jason, something interesting on this. I think it's very important. You have a media company, not just a podcast. Maybe it is just a podcast. But consider the content within that podcast. That's really what you're doing here. It's like water within a glass. You can take that water, pour it in a jug, put it in a cup or bottle. It's the water that people want. It's not the jug, the cup, the bottle. You are the water. So consider that if you consider yourself a podcaster. I certainly do. I love podcasting. I love radio. I love audio. I got a couple books on podcasting. I have planted my flag for podcasting, but I also know that the world is changing. When I got involved in this, way back in the day, we didn't have podcasting. Couldn't have even thought about it. I would never have imagined that I'd be sitting here today talking to you from a glorified walk-in closet, being able to connect to people like Jay all the way in Columbus, Ohio, from Nashville, Tennessee, and sounding like we are in the same room thanks to companies like Riverside.fm. I would have never, ever, ever imagined that. Yet here we are. So sometimes it opens things up, but sometimes things go away. Talked about radio syndication. That was a thing that we did back in the day when I started. 2005, that was a big deal. Nowadays, eh, not so much. Not so much. I'm going to talk more about that here in a minute when I talk about big media versus what we've got right now. The point I'm making here is how do you define yourself? If you say, I'm a podcaster, I want you to clarify that just a little bit more. I used to tell people, oh, I'm a marketing guy. Big mistake. Nobody knows what that means. I would have been much better off saying something like, I build audiences, because that's what I do. That's what I talked about at the very beginning of this episode. I build audiences. And sometimes I do that via podcasting, sometimes live events, sometimes through books. It's the water, man. The water. We're going to put it in a cup, a jug, a bottle. But it's the water that people come to me for. And it is the water that people come to you for. How do you define yourself? Think about that. Jay talked about being a creator. He's not just a podcaster. He's on YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter. It's got an interesting thing. And he's right about that. He has a media company. You have a media company as well. Is it obvious to others what you do though? That's the question to ask yourself. And if it's not, work on it. Now we're going to get real. Talking about the hierarchy of content creation, but also churn and burn content creation. Let's start there. Quality versus quantity. You look at a guy like Jay, he's doing really well. Seems to be everywhere. We talked about that. And he's not everywhere. He's just where I am. He's just where maybe you are. People in the content creation space, we see him and we think, whoa, okay, this guy's everywhere. But he's not. He's just where we are. The people who have real impact, and you're still here with me, so I know that's what you want to do or that's what you're doing. I'm talking about lasting impact. They're doing books, multi-episode podcasts, long-form content. That takes time. It is not a churn and burn thing. It is quality over quantity. 
You cannot write the books that I write within a year. It takes time. It's going to take you a couple years, maybe longer. The big podcast book, the black and white one, 462 pages, took four and a half years to write. There's actually a new version of it. Made it take even longer. Went back to it, did another edit. That's what this level of content takes. It's not churn and burn, forget it, go on to the next thing. It's sticking with something. Sticking with your topic, sticking with your audience. Will this change? I don't know. Short form is making a lot of noise right now, mainly because we've got a place for it. Consider this. It's not uncommon for the musician that you love to release a new single monthly. That is very common in the music industry right now. That never would have happened a few years ago. Definitely not 20 years ago. Why? Distribution. 20 years ago, you had to go into a studio that you didn't own. You had to rent it, block it out, bring all the personnel in there. You had to print something. We were doing it for music on CDs, vinyls, DVDs maybe. As an author, you were doing this on paper. It helps to make the money work by packaging your work into something that you can sell for more money. Authors weren't doing a chapter at a time, which is what they're doing now. Musicians weren't doing a single at a time. When you can package something together, such as booking a studio for a month or two, that's how albums were made. You know how long it used to take people to get drum sounds? It could be a week or two. It took forever. These days, samples, man, they don't even mic drums. You see people hitting it, boom, triggers a sample. They don't have to mic it. Sounds perfect every single time. Anyway, point is this. It took a lot longer than it does now. We have different ways of making content. We have different ways of distributing content because that's the second part of this. Pressing a single cassette, CD, record, getting that on a truck, getting it to the store, doing the marketing behind it. You can only charge so much for that. And that's why you never saw that. That is why you saw big books, not small books, not per chapter books. These days, it's a whole lot different. Marketing. A whole lot different. We've got algorithms. We've got lists. We can go directly to the people that we want to reach via things like these niche podcasts. That's why these niche ads cost more money than a general ad. This is how it all works. So digital distribution, that's changed this. And maybe we'll start seeing more short form content because of it. I think it's an experiment right now. We'll see if it lasts. Regardless, the thing I think is difficult is to keep showing up and to keep thinking, Uh, I got to have 10 pieces of content today. I got to have five pieces of content today. Maybe one piece of content today. What are you doing to make sure you can be here six months or a year from now? Even three months from now. I know people burning out really quickly. Some of them not even lasting three months. I heard a stat. This is crazy. Most podcasters not even getting the first episode out. A lot of people start with an idea. Yeah, kind of joke around about it. Don't even get the first episode out. Isn't that crazy? And there's definitely that statistic that you've heard. Average podcast, seven episodes. If you've made it over seven episodes, you're doing better than most. How are you going to make sure that you can continue going? That's the big question. Because with this digital content, we've got an audience that is hungry, hungry, hungry for more. Every time I come up with a book, two years to write, four years to write, whatever. Somebody gets it next week. Hey man, great book. When's the next one? (laughs) I don't do books like that. You got to wait a little while. But fortunately, in between, we've got episodes of Build a Big Podcast. Related to this, this is the perfect segue into the hierarchy of content creators. Online is different than offline. We see this in podcasting versus radio, YouTube versus television, broadcast television versus streaming television. We can act like it doesn't matter and to some fans that it doesn't, but there is a difference. 
Book publishing is the same way. Ebooks versus print, self-publisher versus a major publisher. This is similar to long-form versus short-form content. I think there's a hierarchy. Again, I think things are changing. We're looking at short-form content and we can appreciate that. I certainly do. I love a good meme. I love a good headline. I think this is because of my music and songwriting background. Perfect song, three minutes and 30 seconds. It tells a story, the beginning, the middle, and the end. And it takes you through this emotion, something that you can relate to. Doing something like that, it can often be tougher than writing an entire book. Shorter is not necessarily easier. And as far as online versus offline or indie versus major, independent online content, that's not necessarily easier either. You still need good video quality, still need good audio quality. Anything that you write needs an editor. And a book, it may need several editors. I had several editors on the big podcast book. Like I just said, got a new edition coming out. Another editor. One of the things that I love about podcasting, and that's why the company is called Big Podcast. It's not called Big Audio or Big Radio. I focus on podcasting because I want to own that. I love independent publishing and I love podcasting. And I think we should own that. I saw a guy, big YouTuber. He was being interviewed by Anderson Cooper on CNN. I kind of felt sorry for the guy because he really wanted to be seen as a legit entertainer. He was killing it on YouTube. And when I talk about this, I'm talking hundreds of millions of dollars on YouTube. Wasn't enough for him though. He wanted to play in the big leagues. And he looked like an idiot because what he was doing on YouTube, the stuff that had worked for him, hundreds of millions of dollars, and I'm not exaggerating. This is a guy that makes a ton of money. It didn't work on CNN. You've got this old school broadcast host. He's really seated in himself. You've got this guy across from him. Again, hundreds of millions of dollars, but basically making fart sounds and telling dick jokes. <laughs> it didn't work, man. It didn't work. The gimmicks, the quick cuts, the stuff that he'd been doing on YouTube that did work, it's not a broadcast thing. I think knowing your place is important. And I don't say that in a bad way, trying to keep people down. Know your place. Don't get above your pay grade. Nothing like that. I'm saying make your forehand so good they don't realize you don't have a backhand. That's the way to do that. And I can talk personally about this regarding books. I had a book deal once, 20 years ago. It's for a music business book. It was an idiot's guide. You know, the dummies books, the yellow ones, idiot's guide are the orange ones. Anyway, I walked away from it. It was taking too long. It wasn't what I wanted to do. I didn't feel like playing their game. I didn't know their game when I was getting into it because I got in there with a partnership. Fortunately, the partner was an attorney. He's able to handle all this. <laughs> but I got in there with a partnership not knowing what I was doing. Once I figured out how the math worked, the maze, the obstacle course, all that we were going to have to go through to get the book out. I was like, not interested. And since then, publishing my own books, sold about 260,000 copies of books. Not bad, not bad for me. Now, I was at Book Expo one year. I was having a good run, man. Did about 80,000 books that year. And Book Expo, if you don't know this, it's a trade show, always at the Javits Center in New York. And I was talking to somebody from one of the big distributors. I go, yeah, you know, I'm doing all right. 80,000 this year. And she looked at me and she goes, well, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> totally cut me down. Because I was like that guy on Anderson Cooper. I was doing my thing, which is great. And it's working for me. 
but it didn't work for her. It was a completely different thing. And I've realized that since then. I don't care that my books don't say Simon and Schuster on the cover or Random House or Idiot's Guide or Dummies, whatever. That doesn't matter to me. The only thing that matters to me is am I making impact? And once I got clear on that, the decision was easy. I've had a few publishers over the years. They've reached out to me. Hey, we'd like to do this. We'd like to license this. We'd like translation rights to this, whatever. And I've turned them all down because I couldn't come to the agreement of anything that they came up with. They play their game. I play my game. Two different games. It just doesn't work together. And parallel to this, I talked about this a little bit earlier in the episode. When I got into podcasting, that was via radio. We were playing the radio game. That was much different in 2005 than it is now. At the very beginning of Music Business Radio, which is the syndicated show, we really wanted broadcast syndication. That was our thing. That's what we were going after. We made it happen. But since then, things have changed. Clusters have been broken up. And clusters, I mean a station owner with multiple stations. People will sell off stations or iHeart will take over, whatever. Anyway, the radio landscape has changed. Podcasting is more of a recognized thing. Like I said, podcasting was just an aftershoot. <laughs> I remember the first meeting I was in. I was kind of dying in this meeting. I said, you know, there's this thing called podcasting. We could put this on the internet too. And they're, hmm, podcasting, huh? Didn't really understand it. And then the follow-up to that was, you know, we really don't need it. We're on the radio. We don't need the internet. We got a big tower. Anyway, satellite radio, major broadcast syndicator, big podcast network, actually. I've talked to them about doing spinoffs of the show. Not interested, at least not so far. I'm not saying it wouldn't work for me in the future, but what I'm bringing to the table now compared to what I was bringing to the table then with that book deal and the original syndication deals is I know what I've got. And that's something that I would encourage for you is that I know who I am and I know what I've got. And who I am and what I've got, that doesn't work for everybody. But it's got to work for me because at the end of the day, you can lose a record deal, a book deal, a syndication deal, and all you're left with is you. So I've got these indie books and a podcast like this, just a podcast that's also indie. And there's an argument, and I think it's valid, that you can only go so far with that. And I'm great with it. I own it. I control it. I love that. I think it's a good way to wrap up the series in a nice bow. The world of content, music, podcasts, videos, live events, whatever. We can do it the way we want now. And there's a big space for everybody. If you want to do a network deal like Jay Klaus did, that's an option. If you want to be independent, that's an option. If you want to live stream, that's an option. YouTube, audio only, all of these things are options. CPM versus the niche buyout, that's an option. Dynamic versus a baked-in live read, that is an option. So consider this as you move forward with your content. What do you want your life to look like? Because that's the foundation, isn't it? It's like I said with these deals falling through, the book deal, the music deal, the publishing deals. You're left with just you. And that's how we are when it comes to technology. Podcasting may not be here in five or 10 years. I don't know. Are we going to be able to connect via audio? Yeah. But it might be different. Still, you've got the water. Podcasting, that's just the jug. Just like a written book, just like a Kindle book, just like broadcast media, just like satellite radio. Just a different type of container. The water is what we've got. So consider that as you're moving forward with your podcast. If I can help you, reach out to me, bigpodcast.com. 
you want to make sure that you never miss an episode. I'm going to have more of these. In fact, number 500, right around the bend. If you want those, here's how to do it. Bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. The three buttons I talked about, yeah, they're still there. Pick one of them. iPhone, Android, the RSS feed. Click the button for the way that you get your podcast. I will get you hooked up. One click is all it takes. If you want to scan the QR code, I will get Build a Big Podcast on your phone. You can listen to me in the car, in the gym. Listen to me wherever you are. Because I know you got your phone wherever you are. We're doing that these days, right? We don't need chips implanted. We got phones. <laughs> Pretty much implanted. And on that phone, you can have Build a Big Podcast. Bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. That's the URL. Go there before you forget. And I'll see you on the next episode of Build a Big Podcast.